thank you for being with us, um, at least virtually, uh, at, here at Thompson Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Hank Wilson. We're glad to have you watching and listening to the word of our Lord. We are going through, in our sermon series, the book of Galatians, the epistle of Galatians, written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in Galatia. We're in chapter 4, and I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 4, as we hear the word of God from verses 12 through 20, verses 12 through 20. And I encourage you to follow along with me and listen to the word of the Lord. Paul says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose they want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, that your word is truth, that we can now come before you, even in our social distancing, even in a time uh, where we are not able to gather and worship and we can hear your word, your truth, and that your word is timeless, that the words of Christ our Lord can impact our life even today. And so we would ask now as we turn to you and your word to the preaching and teaching of your word, that you, O Lord, would pierce our mind, pierce our hearts, and, and change and renew our minds, that we may come to know you, to be transformed to the very image of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for being with us. I'll remind you where we are. Paul is writing to the Galatians and treating them and encouraging them to turn back to the gospel to the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God reconciled himself to the world through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ our Lord. We talked about that even recently in East, on Easter Sunday, and we were encouraged by the resurrection of our Lord. And so now we come to these verses here, uh, and we ask what is it that Paul is conveying. I would ask you this morning to think through what is going to happen when we come together again as a body of believers, as churches all around the world began to come back and uh, in this new norm gather together and worship. We're going to again be confronted with some of the very same problems that we've had in the church for centuries. I would ask the question, are you a dragon? Are you a dragon? Let me explain. Marshall Shelley has written a book which is uh, mainly for pastors or ministers, and it's entitled Ministering to Problem People in Your Church. 
And what this book does is look at all the different personality types of individuals in the church, all the problem people, if you will, and draws some uh, analysis and some comparisons to those individuals. And Marshall Shelley spends a lot of time calling these individuals dragons, and I'll explain why here in just a moment. But let me highlight some of these 11 personalities for you to get you thinking. Uh, as we come back together in the next few weeks or months, my question to you is, are you a dragon? You see, uh, the first type of dragon that Shelley points out is one called a bird dog. A bird dog is one who points out the needs in the church, typically uh, toward the leadership, uh, pointing out the need that uh, needs to be relieved and hopes that the one who is in charge will do it. Shelley says that they love to be the pastor's eyes, ears, and nose, sniffing out items for attention. They often say things like, that's your job, pastor. I'm just calling your attention to it. The bird dog points out the needs in the church so that others may do it. Now, the good part of this is that they are pointing out the needs in the church. The bad part is their expectation is that someone else will do it. Number two, the wet blanket. This is someone who might, on the, on the um, front, out on, uh, at first glance, might be someone who is trying to keep the peace. Their motto is, it's not worth trying or it's too much of an effort, so therefore just let it lie. They have a, what we would call a contagious negative disposition. In other words, they're one who ends with doom and gloom. They may say things like, if it's not worked, if it hasn't worked in the past, why try it today? They may say that there's no use they may say that the church is dying or dead, the church is too small, the church is this, the church is that, and it always ends in doom and gloom. The third personality type is the entrepreneur. This person is enthusiastic, almost overly enthusiastic. They're the first person to meet those who are greeting the church, those who are visitors for the first time. They're going to be the first ones to interact with these folks. But they're not interacting because they're excited that they're coming to visit the church. No, their enthusiasm is actually entrepreneurial. They are actually trying to sell something. They're looking for their next business partner, their next client. They're trying to offer them something. The fourth personality type here is drill instructor. This one probably doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. Uh, on the onset, this person gets things done. Things get accomplished around the church. But this person, however, speaks with an exclamation point instead of a period. They're a steamroller, Shelley says, who flattens anyone in his way. They get things done, but they're very heavy-handed in how they get these things accomplished. Not much grace involved. The fifth personality type is the anonymous blogger. Again, probably no need for explanation here, but uh, on the surface level, there's someone who is helping draw attention to problems in the church. But the way that they go about it is they post things on the internet or Facebook, Instagram, maybe a tweet goes out without attaching their names, complaining about 
the church. And when they do this, they foster a climate of suspicion and dissatisfaction with the church. Nothing is right. The things that are wrong need to be highlighted by this anonymous blogger. The sixth one is a fickle financier. On the surface level, again, this might look like a good steward, someone who is trying to use their monies appropriately. And they will say things such as, um, I'm using my money when the church does well. You see, Shelley says they use money to register their approval or disapproval of the church's decisions. They support the church by giving when they like the decision, and when they don't like the decision, they will withhold their tithes and their offerings as sort of a protest against the decision by the leadership of the church. Number seven, the busybody. Here is someone who looks at, to be a servant of the church, always working tirelessly. The busybody. I think we know what scripture says about being busy. But this is really one who likes to tell other people how to do their job. Not so much worried about what I'm doing as the busybody, the servant of Christ, but rather telling you how you should do your job. 8 through 11 here, just a few more. The sniper, this one again, no explanation needed. It's really one who takes pot shots in private conversations uh, to go against the leadership of the church or to go against something that someone is doing in the church maybe it's a ministry uh, maybe it's an elder a deacon maybe it's the pastor maybe it's the pastor's wife the list goes on and on there are just these pot shots in private conversations called the sniper number nine the bookkeeper uh, at the surface level again looks like a historian one who keeps good records for the church ends up keeping written records of everyone's wrongs. This individual will go around and keep written records and bring them up at the right time, or the most appropriate time in their mind, that would show where everyone else is wrong. And then you have the merchant of muck. This is one who may seem like they're looking out for everyone else and their, their needs within the church. But what happens, Shelley says, is they attack others by their willingness to listen to their complaints about the church. They attract other people, and they, they kind of suck them in, if you will, into this conversation. And because they're willing to listen to the complaints, then they become this merchant of muck, and they attack others, joining those who are complaining. And lastly, there is the legalist, one who seems to be doing things decently and in order, who seems to be uh, trying to keep the law of God, who uh, attempts to take scripture and be very religious about it. But what ends up happening here is this individual creates a list of absolutes. There's either this way or that way. There's no middle ground. There's a right or wrong on everything. And usually their list of absolutes is always right and everyone else is wrong. See, these are the personality types that we may have in our congregations as we come back together. They were there before. Shelley wrote this book uh, way uh, back in the day, and, and this is nothing new for the church, and we have always identified different personalities in the church. That's what's unique about the church, is God brings all these different personality types into the church and calls them his people. Yet the problem here is that sometimes 
And very often, Satan will use these personality types and maneuver these through the church so that they may be destructive to the mission. That the mission of spreading the gospel and making disciples that the church is set out and called to do, those things are then stifled by these different personality types causing conflict within the church. And so now we have before us a dilemma. And I ask you this question. Do one or more of these personality types that I've uh, just mentioned, do they represent you? Are you bringing helpful solutions and a healthy uh, perspective to the church through your own personality, through your words, and through your deeds? Are you lifting up and encouraging the people of Jesus Christ? Or are you damaging it with how you are treating others? Are you one of these personalities uh, that everyone can look at and say that is a dragon, someone being used by Satan to damage the church? Are you a dragon? Shelley uses this example of dragons because very often we see this as something that needs to be slayed, something that needs to be destroyed. And I would say in our sanctification, in our uh, walk with God and trying to be more like Christ and less like our sinful self, in which Paul is speaking to the sanctification of the Galatians here, we are to be reminded that we are to slay these dragons in our own personality. And I say the reason that we should do this is because how we view each member of the church has a direct bearing on how we interact and treat these folks. How we treat people, put it another way, is based off of how we view those people. And if we view those people with this dragon mentality, with this uh, I'm going to destroy or slay them mentality, then we end up can causing conflict and damaging the church, being used by Satan to destroy the gathering of God's people. But Paul here teaches us how we are really to view the fellowship of Christians, the view that Paul has of the church of, in Galatia should be very encouraging to us. And it should remind us that Satan uses the church uses the people of God within this community called the church to try and destroy it. Each of these dragons, these personality types, can be used by Satan and often is. And many of us have examples of those in our own life. We've seen folks come in who may be acting like this, living in sin, operating out of sin, being used by Satan to destroy the gathering of God's people, the body of believers. And so this morning, I want to point out three ways that Satan will use this. Satan will use this um, when we think more highly of ourselves of ourselves than we ought. When we began to put ourselves on a pedestal, and when we began to think that we are more of a Christian than other people, then that's when Satan will use this and dragons will rear their ugly heads. Imagine if Paul in this passage comes and lays out before the Galatians, don't you know who I am? I am greater than you. I am the apostle of apostles. I am the Christian of Christians. And no, Paul doesn't do that, does he? Look at verse 12. He says, brothers, I entreat you become as I am, for I also have become as you are. 
So often we focus on this imitate Paul aspect in the very first part of this verse, become as I am. What Paul really is saying, though, not so much become as I am, but become as I am, for I have become as you are. Paul sees himself not as greater than these brothers and sisters. He sees himself as an equal, someone who has been saved by the blood of the Lamb, someone who has uh, had Jesus Christ die on the cross for them was buried and raised for them. Paul, after all, met Jesus on the road to Damascus and was, was blinded and challenged, why are you persecuting my church? Isn't that the charge that Jesus brought before Paul? And said, why are you persecuting my church? And Paul then responds with blindness and deafness. And until his eyes are opened and the scales fall off, not till then is Paul begin to see the people of God as they should be seen. Paul did not hold this apostleship over them. He did not hold the fact that he started this church, that he preached to them the gospel. He did not say, I am greater than you. No, he said, rather, I have become as you are, a child of God, one who is loved by God, one in which Christ Jesus died for. I too, basically, Paul is saying, am living in the grace of of God, When we start thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, we are going to be like one of these personality types mentioned by Shelley. We are going to be a dragon. We're going to be one of those or a multitude of those throughout our life. And we're going to bring damage to the church rather than saying, no, I am no different than the person that I worship Jesus Christ my Lord with. I am no different than my fellow Christian. We are... To see ourselves not more highly as we ought, but all living as children of God in the very grace that he has called us to stand and to live. Satan will use this then to destroy the church, the fact that we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. But secondly, Satan will use this when we follow others rather than Jesus Christ. One of the other charges that Paul is bringing before the Galatians here is that they're being led astray by some group of people or some uh, individuals. Remember last week, uh, Paul reminded them back in verse 9 that now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? And there are some people here in the church, in this gathering of believers, that are somehow drawing them away from the gospel that Paul preached at first. Look at, at it with me in verse 13. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God. The people received Paul as an angel of God. As a matter of fact, it says, as Christ Jesus. In other words, as Christ Jesus himself, Paul was received by this group of individuals, loved as Christ was loved. But then in verse 15, what then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testified to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? See, Paul tells them the truth, and somehow in this, they began to revolt. And there are groups of people, individuals, who are fostering this. They are dragons, if you will. Verse 17, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, 
and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. There's a group of individuals drawing these people away from following Jesus Christ, from being like Christ. They're these dragons that are mentioned earlier, drawing them away from the gospel, following those individuals rather than following Jesus Christ. And Paul is basically saying, what is happening to your blessedness of living in the gospel, seeing one another as equals, and following after Jesus Christ? That's why at the end of this, he says, I am perplexed by you. I wish I could change my tone. I wish I could change what I'm saying and thinking about you, but I can't because of your actions, because you are following these individuals. These individuals who are set out to lift themselves up rather than to lift up Jesus Christ, their Lord. And Satan will use this to attack and destroy the church. Satan uh, will also use the fact that we stop enjoying each other's company. That's the third point. We stop enjoying each other's company. We stop enjoying the fellowship of one another. Now listen, I understand we're in a time in, in which it's hard to gather, in which we cannot come together. We cannot come and worship Jesus Christ in one accord in the same building. And I understand that. But that's not because we don't like one another. That's not because we don't enjoy each other's fellowship, is it? Most of us are like the psalmist of Psalm 42 and 43. We desire to come back into the house of the Lord. We desire again to have fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We desire to come together in like mind to worship in spirit and truth because we enjoy each other's company. You see, Satan will use this, a lack of desire to be in each other's company. He'll use it to destroy a church Fellowship is a big part of church. Coming together is a big part of church. Learning to love one another through strife and conflict. That's what the church often offers in our own sanctification and our growth into Christ. That's why Paul says that in verse 19. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. In other words, until Christ is made perfect in you. Until you have become uh, this side of glory, all but perfect. Until that happens, Paul says, I am in anguish. I am perplexed by you, hoping that that is what will happen. Paul then is encouraging the Galatians to imitate him, not as some great individual, not as a super Christian or a super apostle. No, in his view of other believers and how he views the church in Galatia. How he views his fellow heirs, the children of God, ones who have been saved by God in his grace and in his mercy. Paul views them as Jesus does. That's the point. He says elsewhere, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, have a mind that sees one another as Christ sees them. Paul views his fellow believers as Jesus does, as children of God. How important are you to God? How does God see you? How does Jesus view you? Well, let me just give you a little reminder. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 2, or just follow along. I'm going to read here Zechariah chapter 2. It's just 13 verses. 
Because I want to point something out in this passage. This is how important you are, the church is, to God. Zechariah chapter 2, the prophet Zechariah says, And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. How important then is the church to God? God calls the church, the people of God, the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. Many of us are very familiar with this idiom, with this phrase. We know that the pupil is often called the apple of the eye. The pupil very important, essential to the health of the eye, to whether or not the eye works appropriately. And God says in this passage in Zechariah that the people of God are so important that if anyone touches them, that he is going to take great offense. That's as if you were touching his own eye. That he loves you so much that any nation that comes against you, the people of God, it's as if you're touching God's very eye. That he will shake his hand over them, shall become plunder for those who serve them. God will protect. And then God is going to be in the midst of his people. That's how important that, he, that you are to him. We see this phrase, apple of his eyes, used also in Deuteronomy chapter 32.10. It says, he found him in a desert land, being Jerusalem, Jacob, and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him and cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. And then again, in Psalm 17.8, the prayer of the psalmist is, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. And in Proverbs 7, 2, keep my commandments and live. Keep my te teaching as the apple of your eye. God loves his people. God sees his people as the apple of his eye. The psalmist prays to God, keep me as that important, the apple of your eye. Proverbs says if you keep the commandments of God, it's like teaching is so important. And it's like the apple of our eye. This phrase is very important for us to understand because I think Paul here is viewing the Galatians in this very same sense that they are so loved by God, protected by God, that they are so important that Paul is asking them and treating them, he says, 
imploring with them to become as he is, to see one another with love, the love of Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father for his people. See, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, you need to know something this morning. You need to know first that God loves you as the apple of his eye. God protects you. He loves you. As a matter of fact, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. If that isn't an example of love, you know, so how, how often do we look at this term love and we wonder if people love us or if, if, if someone is showing us the right affection, the right amount of love. And we often equate that with the actions that that person does. But right here we can see that God loves us. How do we know that God loves us? Well, he calls us the apple of his eye. He treats us so importantly. He loves us. And we know that through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul knows that as he encourages the Galatians. Now, there's a second part to this that I want us to be mindful of, especially as we come back together into the house of the Lord, as we start interacting in ministry uh, together with one another, is that God loves your fellow Christian as the apple of his eye. Well, this is one that's maybe harder for us to think of. We love to think about how God loves us. But if we're going to treat one another as we should, if we're going to, to live as Christians together, as we come together, we must start viewing one another as God views us. We must see one another as God sees us. We must look at how Paul is loving the Galatians as Christ loves his church, as Christ loves his bride. And we must be reminded that God loves our neighbor, the one who is a Christian a part of God's kingdom, who sits next to us in church, who teaches Sunday school with us, who keeps the nursery with us, who uh, preaches to us, who teaches us, who sings in the choir with us. Whatever our roles may be in our congregation, we must see one another loved by God as the apple of his eye. Because when we do this, I think we begin to realize that our actions are often wrong. Paul gives us a great example here of what it means to view others as God views them. One saved by grace as equals, not as something different, but as ones who are loved by Christ, by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross, not just for me, but for them. And if we start looking at one another that way, how different might our church be? Paul desired fellowship with these folks. He desired to be in their midst. He says, I can't wait to be with you. I wish, in verse 20, I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. I desire to fellowship with you back like we did before when you received me as Christ Jesus, Paul says. That's the love that Christ has for his people. He desired to see them grow in their faith to walk closer to God, to love Jesus more every day, to be removed from that sin. Paul loved them as Jesus loved them. Do you love the fellow believers of Jesus Christ the way that you should? Or are you a dragon 
Are your words indeed toward your fellow Christian, are they destructive? Or are they encouraging? Are they healthy? Or are they unhealthy? It would be easy right now for all of us to look around the church and to look out and say, I see those personalities in that person or that person or that individual. I see the dragons that you mentioned, Pastor. Everything in uh, uh, 1 through 11 there that Mr. Shelley brings up, I see all of those. And we could focus on them. But what I want you to do today, and here where, here's where I want to encourage you, is not to focus on others, but to focus on yourself. Ask yourself, am I a dragon in the church? Am, am I one of those? You know, the unique thing about Marshall Shelley here is it says sometimes even the intentions are so good. They're, they're well-intended dragons. Yet at the end of the day, they're dragons, and Satan uses them to destroy the church. But Paul here says, imitate me. Imitate me. I have become like you. I am no different than you. Are you and your actions, your speech, your conduct toward your fellow Christians, are they building up the church? Are they strengthening the church? Are you going to use your personality to lift each other up or tear each other down? Are you going to be a dragon. Ask yourself, is what I'm doing now, what I'll do tomorrow in the church, is it helpful for the church of Jesus Christ, or is it destructive? Are you a dragon to be slayed? In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Paul showing us how we are to love each other, how we are to be encouraged by one another, how often our intentions are met with sin and hatred toward our brother and sister in Christ. We ask, O oh Lord, for your forgiveness this morning. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would take this, that you would remove these dragons from us, that somehow, O oh Lord, these practices would become old. And as we come back together in your house, and in ministry, and we try to reach the world with the gospel, to see people grow in Christ, to see people discipled into Christ, we ask, O oh Lord, that you would help us, that we would view one another as you view us, the apple of your eye. Teach us to be more like Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray all of these things. Amen. And amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. We're glad that you're here. Pray that the Lord will use this passage and what has been presented in his word to encourage you as we come back together, hopefully one day, very, very soon, as a body of believers in this church or in your own church. So now receive the benediction and let us be dismissed with the blessing of our Lord. Now may God be your exceeding joy, Christ your unfailing hope, and the Spirit, your unfailing comfort in all your worship and work and troubles until Jesus comes again. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. God bless you.